Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. You're very welcome to Wednesday Afternoons, Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Let me tell you what's happening this afternoon. A little bit later on, we're going to hear about our latest unsung hero, and she's a fabulous nominee, let me tell you. That's coming up on the show after three. Have you ever been on a pilgrimage to Lourdes? I know lots of people listening today have. Well, we have a very special feature on Lourdes this afternoon because Colm Keane and Uno Hagen have a fabulous new book out called The Village of Bernadette. And we're going to be talking about it and Lourdes after two o'clock on the show today. If you've been to Lourdes, if you want to comment on it, if you've had very good feelings and something happened in your life after being to Lourdes, we'd love to hear from you. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. You can call in on 1850-715-958. But starting the show today, it's role reversal for me with my first guest this afternoon. You see, Dr. Candon Logathan was named the Patient's Choice GP of the Year at the recent National GP Awards and Dr. Candon is in the hot seat today. You are so welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. May I say congratulations to you? And I put my cards on the table. You are my GP. <laughs> so we better tell them that for starters. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for your, for your, for your kind words. <laughs> what does it mean to you to be you know, nominated by your patients for this wonderful award? Um, well, for me, it's a it's a it's a big deal for me. Um, like I said, you, you know, you've you've known me for a few years. I'm a GP in town. Um, like, it, it's a special recognition for me. The fact that you know, for everything I've done, and the fact that my GPs are, you know, my patients are saying, you know, uh, nominate me for this, kind of say thank you for everything I've done. So it's kind of like for me, it's a, a true honor. Like I said, I don't for what I do, I don't look for any kind of recognition. I just do it. Um, so for me to be nominated and to win the award is a it's a big deal for me. And um, like I said, I'm truly honoured for this. Your family are obviously thrilled. My wife is excited. Like I said, she's laughing because I have a big head and <laughs> just got bigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say to her today, it's entitled to get a little bigger at this stage. It'll settle back. We, we promise you with time. And, you know, for, for the practice, because you work out of Hilltop, Centric Health, Hilltop practice here, not far from where we sit today. What about the, the, the people in the practice, your, 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 your doctors, your fellow doctors, the staff there? Oh, you see, I've, I've, I'm, I'm lucky and blessed because I've worked with a great bunch of doctors, my practice manager, the nurses, the administrators, every one of them have been very good to me ever since I started there in August, I think 11th of August 2015, right un- until now. So like I said, they've always been there. They've kept up with all my craziness and everything that I do. And like I say, the the win that I have is not only about me, but it's also about everyone in the practice and also for Hilltop as well as Trahada. Because like I said... Uh, you know, it's nice that Drada has been recognised. Like the practice rec- in Drada has recognised, you know, in an in a national award for 2019. Uh, have you peppered your steps since? Are you even uh, more enthusiastic than you normally are? 
Well, I don't know about pep in my step. I'm definitely limping anyway from running, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Will you stick those set of headphones on you there, Dr. Candon, for a moment, please? I'll just uh, plug you in there. Have a listen in there for a second. Yeah, just put them on you, yeah. Uh, because we're joined on the line by one of the patients, one of the families and patients of yours who were part of the nomination process and she's out of the country. I'm delighted she's taking our call today. She's a well-known local barrister. Irene Sands, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Hi, Dr. Candon. Don't kill me. Hi, <laughs> Hi Irene. Irene. Sorry, nice. surprised. <laughs> Irene, tell, tell, tell our listeners, why this man? Um, well, Jerry, look, if he's your GP, you know as well as I do the type of service that Dr. Candon provides. He could not be warmer, friendlier, more caring, more compassionate. Um, and he does it with a smile on his face all the time. So he's he's listened to everyone in our family whinge and moan from my 72-year-old dad, who'll kill me for outing his age, <laughs> to my two-year-old niece. And Dr. Candon has dealt with us all. And in fairness, as a family, um, we had to transition. So we were all patients of Dr. Michael O'Brien, who obviously had the, the practice before Dr. Candon was ever there. Um, and the practice has just been incredible for our whole family, for all of us at every single stage. And Dr. Candon is just another another string on that bow. He's just incredible. And in fairness, I think he's been very humble and modest in terms of um, how deserving he is of this of this award. And I think he's totally right. The practice up there is much more than him. It's all of the staff. It's the admin staff. It's the girls on the desk. It's the other doctors when, you know, you can't get hold of Dr. Gandon. Um, so I think he's totally right to say it's actually, it's not just a win for him. It's a win for the whole practice because you're in, you know, I, I, I said I'm very lucky to be one of his patients. And I think, Jerry, you probably can, can echo that same sentiment. I can indeed, Irene. And, you know, uh, you are one and uh, of many who, who made this nomination. And some of the words that, that, that I read as part of the process here that was said about Dr. Candon, he, he's a great listener. He gives people time. He's always approachable and contactable. He goes above and beyond the call of duty. That, all those things sum this man up. Absolutely. And they couldn't be more true and more genuine. Like we've had a number of different sort of helpings, as every family has um, this year to contend with all minor, thankfully, and all of that. But Dr. Candon, whether it's, you know, a Friday evening and he's putting a call in to check how something went during the week or he's following up on something. He's just he goes over and above all the time. And he has done that for our family. So I can only speak from my own experience. But he does it with a smile on his face and really there's no problem too big or too small. Um, and we've had we've had all sorts of ranges of ailments uh, this year to contend with. And like Dr. Canton has just stood by us and been amazing for absolutely every single one of us. So collectively as a family, um, as I say, we were big fans of Mike, Dr. Michael O'Brien's um, before Dr. Canton and we couldn't be in safer hands in terms of that transition, you know. Candon, do you want to respond before we let her go to enjoy our holiday? Irene, thank you very much for um, calling in. And like I said, I'm Malaysian, I'm brown skin, I'm blushing for everything you just said. <laughs> I probably I won't know. be able to get an appointment now the next I don't know, time. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know what to say. Um, uh, but no, thank you very much for everything. Um, uh, like I said, uh, I do it because I do it and I don't think about it. And yeah, no, 
Thank you very much. But that's that's what makes you so great at it, Candon, is that you do it just because it's who you are, not not looking for any credit, not looking for anything. It's just absolutely in you and it's how you are. And it's a privilege to be your patient and I'm really happy to be able to tell everybody that. Thank you very much. Fantastic, Irene. We let you go there. And by the way, before you go, I can uh, reverse the tables here today. I have a a prescription for him that'll make that blushing go away. He'll be out of the the studio here in about 10 minutes and that'll sort it out. (laughs) Irene, thanks for taking our call. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Enjoy Jerry. the holiday. Take care now. Take care. That's Irene Sands there um, joining us uh, this afternoon. Tell us a bit about you. Where, where are you from? Um, so, Jerry, I'm from Malaysia. Um, I came to Ireland back in 97 uh, and I studied in what used to be known as University College Galway. Um, I did my medical training here. Um, and then I pursued a, I did my internship in Galway and I did pursued kind of a surgical training that brought me across from to Kerry. To back then used to be known as Trilly General Hospital. Now I think it's known as Kerry University Hospital, um, Midwestern Regional Hospital, Limerick, um, Cog University Hospital. Um, I did orthopedic as well. Um, and then myself, my wife, Deborah, both, my group, Deborah was a surgical trainee, did surgical training as well. And both of us, I decided that, you know, I think from a, from a family life point of view, we think about, we were going out at the time and um, from a family life point of view, I think general practice would be more family friendly as we wanted to have a family and both of us decided to become GP. So I and myself and Deborah, both of us enrolled in the Northeast training program uh, back in 2011. Um, it was a four-year program and as soon as I finished, I wanted to come back to Drahada um, and here I am. Four years later. It's oh, a great story. So general practice, is that where you see yourself going forward for the foreseeable future? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's um, it's it's challenging. It's different every time. I mean, there's a cliche, you know, that you see the same thing every day, but not really. You're seeing, you know, same, maybe same condition, but things that make a difference is the people. Um, they can present in so many different ways. It's how you read people. Like they may come in the way they, you know, the, what they may say and how they may behave can be totally different. And you can almost pick up on kind of verbal cues, which you cannot get in hospital medicine, but it's, I think it's very, it's there in general practice. And I think that's one thing I like about general practice because it's, you know, you see everything and you, again, you, it's more like cradle to the grave kind of, you know, everyone, like, I mean, I, I, at this stage, I'm, I know grandparents, kids, grandkids, nephews, nieces, extended families and, like I said, like in your case, I, I can I can say about you as well, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, so again, like I said, and you cannot get this in hospital medicine. And that's why I like about general practice. So you are talking, of course, Ava's my granddaughter and, mm-hmm. and we're, we're all your patients as well. And that's from granddaughter to me, granddad as well. It feels strange for me to be saying something like that. But there you are. That's what life <laughs> does. It is cradle to grave. But tell me this while you're on that point. You know, when you have to deal with small children that can't tell you what's up with them and they come into you and they cry and parents are very concerned. And then at the other end, when we age and, you know, a lot, lot of people, I was watching the Glenn Campbell documentary last night about his Alzheimer's, his final tour. Oh, my God, it was so touching. You know what I'm talking about as we age and it becomes difficult to deal as well. And then, of course, you have the big block in the middle, which is most difficult or most challenging at the beginning of life or end? Or I, I, I don't think that you can actually say which is difficult, which is... And I, I think the complexity differs from, I think, individual to individual. I mean, like for a child, you know, a child can be crying, can't say what... can't express itself. But like I said, I go with how the child and I also look at the mother because like I said listening sometimes you know what, what the parents complain the mom or dad's complain you know that almost tells you the whole story about the child and again like I said 
my I was blessed and lucky that you know that I have good trainer, good trainers, GP trainers who always told me like you know, don't you know just always look outside of the box, think outside of the box. And same thing for you know individual who have Alzheimer's. Like I say, sometimes all you need to do is just listen, let them talk listen to them and sometimes that's all they want and you know always bring back stories like i said at this stage i'm four years in the practice i can bring back a lot of stories because like i said i like to talk people know me know i like to talk and you know i always bring back rekindle a lot of stories that they have said to me before anything happened like before their dementia kick in so and they always when i do bring that up they kind of you can almost they get back to their normal self again and that's a nice thing it is a really nice thing. Some issues for yourself uh, uh, day by day. Um, antibiotics, and of course mm. we're told about this all the time, they should at this stage be sort of a last resort. Correct. Do you come under pressure from patients? Because, you know, for years, uh, if there was something up, go to the doc and he'll give you an antibiotic. Again, like I say, it's a historical thing um, about antibiotic. Uh, I'm from a generation where we, you know, we... Like I think the HSC came out recently about this new kind of new kind of green antibiotic prescribing technique, and there's all these the websites that are there how you prescribe antibiotic appropriately. Again, what patient may what, what patient want and what they really want can be totally different. So again, it's all about listening to them, understanding them, assessing them, identify what they want, and again, like I said, you come to a kind of a rational conclusion. Now, like I said, historically they would have given a lot of antibiotics for every single thing. Now, we don't do that. Again, it's all about patient, educa- patient education. Um, talk to them as much as they can. Again, make them be aware. There's great websites like undertheweather.ie. Um, and again, like I said, I do a lot of talking, so I try to counsel most of my patients about antibiotic. If, uh, again, like I said, I don't do too often, but I do this thing called delayed prescribing, which is I give them a prescription. They're not to touch it unless they call me. And again, like I say, so far, touch wood, I've not had any issues, but again, like they say, they know I've, I've, I'm not, I don't prescribe as much because majority, they all know, uh, like what Irene has said, like all they need to do is just call me and I can, so I can either see them the same day or can come up with some sort of solution to their issue if they have any issues. But again, like I said, it's, it is a big deal, antibody prescribing or over prescribing and yeah, that's why you're there. They have all these kind of guidelines that are there mm. to kind of help us there. I take it you're uh, right behind the uh, vaccination programs. There's, there's a lot of talk about this, about the HPV. Of course, we're in flu yeah. vaccine season now. You know, all the, these areas, uh, vaccinating babies from a young age. You, you're, you're pro. I am a big pro um, all things vaccination because they do protect the vulnerable. They do protect, you know, all the, the at-risk group, the vulnerable group from conditions and again like i say once you have it if you don't vaccinate you end up having the sequelae of the condition and it does affect you physically psychologically and affect not only you but your family members as well so i am very much pro flu vaccine pneumonia vaccine hpv and again childhood vaccination is it important that relationship you mentioned cradle to grave a moment ago knowing families but that relationship with a GP and I want to reiterate again Michael O'Brien was my GP and I uh, would like to say hello to him today and wish him well and he was fantastic and that transition that Irene mentioned I experienced that too with you Um, is it important to know that that relationship one to one with your GP for a patient I do think it's important that you know that one to one that that relationship because again like I say Patients can come in, again, if they don't know you, they may not open up to you as much as possible. Um, at this stage, you know, if anyone come in, I, without the, by the way they look, by the way they walk towards me, I can almost predict 
there's there's more to you know without even again like i said uh, i'm a bit different because I, at this stage i know how and anyone walks sit talk look they sneeze i'll know how they and why they do what they do and like i said it is a nice thing again and this is a special thing about general practice because you cannot get this in hospital medicine or any other specialty you can get this in general medicine and that's the fascination about lovely message there coming in for you Dr Cannon that says one top class doctor with you today Jerry on the show always has time for his patients has a laugh with you a truly great man delighted for him thank you so much for that message keep them coming to us 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text so you know the phone in number 1850-715-958 here's a question yeah who treats you if you're not well uh, I have a GP in I have a GP in Navan so you have your own GP. I have my own GP. But again, like I said, I. but then again, I have my, my unofficial GP, my wife as well. <laughs> but I have an official GP. And an You're covered GP. from every angle. Hey, tell me this. You know, your, your family and friends and yeah. people who really get close to you. Do you get calls at times, you know, to say, oh, ring Candon and find out? Oh, yeah, I do. I just got a call yesterday evening from one of my good friends who is uh, who works in, in town. But like I said, I have no issues. They all know me because I, if I have an issue, I call them. And like I said, it's, I mean, like, I, again, like I know um, some, like I'll be very much the print. I follow the principle of, like I said, my predecessor, Michael Bryan, like he'd be very much, you know, he never shut off. Now I do shut off when I go to bed. Good luck waking me up. But, you know, if I, if I'm awake and if you need my help, I'll definitely help you in whatever way as I can. Um, if I cannot help you, I'll find someone that can help you. Um, and I think that's a nice thing aspect of general practice and I hope to carry on. Interestingly, with you coming here today, uh, there is a report out in the last couple of days that says within a decade, artificial intelligence apps will replace GPs. Now, do you care to comment on that? Is this, again, like I said, let, let's go back. I mean, there's this thing called video consultation whereby you can talk over two screens uh, without even touching their patients and examining. There are pros and cons for everything. Again, I think uh, artificial intel- intelligence kind of programs are big in the UK. Um, again, like I said, to be honest, I've, I don't know. Um, I, uh, I do think uh, that, you know, that you will lose the humanity, you lose a personal touch, you lose the cradle-to-the-grave aspect of general practice, should it come? But again, like I said, uh, to be honest, um, it's still early days. Um, I, won't, I, I won't lie to you. I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm, I won't be the first one to knock anything. But again, like I said, I do find AI taking away that personal touch out of general practice. Mm, it won't be me, I promise you, <laughs> Candon. Or the multiples that actually love you, they can keep that for some other generation in the future. The other thing, Dr. Google, you heard this as well, yeah. there's some people great, they, they Google everything and they know everything when it comes. You know these type of people yourself, they haven't a letter behind their name, but they're qualified Dr. Googlers. What, what, what's your, your take on, on Googling? Again, uh, Googling information, I think it's, it's empowering them, the fact that they can check everything. Now, like I said, if you were to put in a spot, um, the first thing to come up will be cancer. Everything is cancer because, again, it's, it's, that's the way it is. Now, the way I will always recommend is, yes, I'll be pro you Googling information or finding out information, but it's where you find this information. There are, there are great research, there are great websites where you can actually look for information, very good, late term, using late term, nothing, no big fancy jargons, um, 
you know, like great websites that you can use. Now, like I said, if you have questions, go on it, find out, come and talk to me. There's no issues at all. Like I said, that's again, I'll be one of those people where, you know what, if you have something you want to talk about, let's talk. You know, again, like I said, it's good to talk because it means that you are empowering yourself and I'll be happy with that anyway. Well, look, I want to leave it there today. Dr. Candon from Hilltop Medical Centric Health Indra had a winner of the Patients' Choice Award and nominated by Patients at the National GP Awards. I say it again. Congratulations to Thank you. you well deserved. The consultation is over. No charge. Away you go. <laughs> there are people to be looked after. Candon. Thanks a million for joining me on Thank the show. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Harry. How would you like to go on a fabulous weekend with show tours at the Tralee Oktoberfest, October Bank Holiday Weekend? Here's the prize, folks. Three nights bed and breakfast at the world-renowned Brandon Hotel, three four-course dinners and cabaret and dancing for two people. They're going to have the Joe Dolan show there, the original, Richie Sampson's Drifters, Cleona Hagen and many more besides. We're picking someone each day on late lunch and then all five names, Monday to Friday, go into the hat and there's one overall winner for the two. It's a weekend for two people there in October. If you want more information, showtours.ie or you can call them on 01-253-0563. Here's today's musical piece. Have a listen. Yes, that's the foundations. Their music will be featured in naturally uh, as well. Here's the question. That song, Build Me Up, Buttercup. It's a very difficult question. What colour is a buttercup? What colour is a buttercup? That's all you have to do to get in the hat Friday 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text with your answer, name and details. And we'll pick somebody to join Una Burns and Porrick Hall who are in the hat already. And the best luck to you there with this one. Last night I mentioned, Louise, I know it's out a while, but I was watching it on Sky Arts, the Glenn Campbell documentary. You probably didn't see it, did you? No, no. no. I wouldn't know that much about him either. I'll Be Me, it's called. And it focused on the last tour of his career. He had Alzheimer's, declared he had Alzheimer's, and he went on tour with his band and his daughter was playing with him as well. And it was a no-holds-barred two hours being with Glenn, his wife and family and the band on tour until they came to the last show. And you know what? It'd take a tear from a stone. It really would. It's out a few years since 2014, but I only happened to see, I knew it was out the full thing last night and it was so powerful and sent such a powerful message. And he could play, Louise. How old was he when he died? 81. He lived four or five years after that tour ended in 2012, I think. Oh, okay. But he declined from there. He had to stop playing. But he could still play and he had a teleprinter in front of him looking at the words of the song. You know what I mean? And he could read them and play, but... It was so sad. It really was so sad. And he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant, Glenn Campbell. Any chance we have a Glenn Campbell song there, would I we? think we might. Would you have something for me? I'd just love if we could play it today and remember him and remember all those living with Alzheimer's. What have you for Will me? Will we try a little kindness? Ah, wouldn't it be just great? Up to two o'clock and after two, we're joined by two lovely people. Colm Keane and Uno Hagen are here. They have a brilliant new book all about Lourdes. It's called The Village of Bernadette and the Irish Connections. Let's listen to Glenn, have news and weather at two and then it's Colm and Una.
was standing by the road with a heavy load from the seeds he sowed. And if you see your sister falling by the way, just stop and say, but you're going the wrong way. Now on, the 2019 Renault Clio and Capture have never been so affordable, with no deposit required. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda and Dundalk. Let me remind you that it's the most visited and most famous Marian shrine in the world, which continues to attract millions of pilgrims. 161 years on since Our Lady appeared to a 14-year-old Bernadette Subaru in 1858. And of course, there's a significant Irish connection with Lourdes, which is the subject of a new book by Colm Keane and Uno O'Hagan called The Village of Bernadette. And I'm delighted to say one of our most treasured and talented couples are back with us today on Late Lunch. Luna and Colm, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us on the show. May I say congratulations in hindsight because you joined me last time, the book about St. Therese of Lisieux, who I was delighted every week to pick up the Times and see it as the number one bestseller uh, week yeah. on week. <laughs> and previous to that, of course, Padre Pio, mm, you be, mm. you're here, Colm, to talk about as well. Is this book really building on... It's building on that theme, is uh, it? It is. Um, I'll tell you what happened, actually, very simply. Uh, last year, when we did uh, Therese... Uh, Everywhere we looked, when we were doing research, we'd find a miracle, we'd find a story about Therese, and we'd find another about Lourdes. And don't forget, Bernadette and Therese, 
both French, similar era, both women, both young, died young, both saints, and it was inevitable there would be an overlap. So uh, I remember Una would look at me or I'd look at Una and we'd say, it's like Providence, we have to do something about this, and we did. Providence. Mm-hmm. Providence indeed, Una, and, 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 and you can just understand that as you're dealing with one subject, another comes to the fore. Just give our listeners, in case they might not know, because I know so many will... Uh, 14 years of age, this young girl from a very humble, tough family, really. Uh, yeah, very tough family circumstances. As you said, she was 14 year old, 14 years old. Her name was Bernadette Subaru. She lived in Lourdes for people who don't know. It was the south of France at the, um, in the shadow of the Pyrenees, a small, very small town sort of big village really Mm, at mm. the time and uh, Bernadette was living in very poor circumstances her family had once been quite prosperous her father was a miller but they had fallen on very hard times and they were living in uh, what was known as the Le Cachot which was a dungeon and it was literally it was a former cell one roomed uh, we went to see it you can see it in Lourdes it was freezing cold in winter boiling hot in summer and um, you know there was mildew on the walls. It's hard to describe just how bad, how bad it was. Were. You know, I, I was reading the book and I was trying to think about this and say to myself, why would this young girl from such circumstances? Be selected, mm. you know, by it's our a, lady. It's a very good question. She was, I think, she was a very good choice. Uh, you know, you're right. She, she, she did come from uh, very poor circumstances, but. Don't forget, she. Th- there was another family that were involved, uh, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago that also were in very poor True. circumstances. And she was an incredible character herself. She was very ordinary, but she was very strong-minded. And she had to put up with huge um, pressure and questioning uh, from both from the church and people outside the church who really wanted her to go away and to stop talking. And if you can imagine a 14-year-old, I know when I was 14, I'd have agreed to anything. I'd have said anything just to get these people off my back. But actually, she was a great personality to deal with what she had to deal with. The apparitions uh, column, 18 mm. times between February and June 1858, uh, she was the only one because there were others. She w- there were friends there, but she was the only one who saw this. That's right. Yeah, uh, might as well go back actually to the eleventh of February, eighteen fifty-eight, and um, they were so poor. As Una said, uh, the house was freezing on this morning. It was a really cold morning and she had to go out and get some firewood. She left with her sister, Toinette, and a friend of Toinette's called uh, Jean Abadie. And uh, they headed off to a place called Massa Biel, a kind of a rocky outcrop, uh, about a half a mile away. And uh, there were trees there, you know, there was a mini forest and she thought we might get some wood. And uh, when they got there, now she had been sick. She had a cold, she had asthma and her mother kind of dressed her up. And they got to a little stream and uh, the other two crossed over the stream but she kind of fiddled with her stockings and started taking off and 
you know, thinking there might be a better way for getting over without getting wet. And suddenly she heard this rustling sound, a rushing noise. And she thought, it's a wind, but there was no wind. And she looked behind her. There were trees down by the river Gav. And she looked at the trees, clever enough, and they weren't moving. Uh, None of the branches were moving. And then she turned around and looked towards the rocky outcrop at Massabiel. And she saw a little rose bush, and that was blowing in the wind. And behind it was a little grotto, and there was a yellow light in the grotto. And in it, she saw this white figure. She said later on it was a beautiful lady and she described it, you know, dressed in white with a a blue sash, um, uh, a white kind of veil, uh, roses on the feet and a rosary beads. And that was the first vision. There was no communication on that in terms of speech. But uh, then, of course, you had 17 more and the whole thing, the legend of Lourdes took Took off from there. Lourdes, water, you know, famous, that was part of the secrets. Weren't there secrets? She was given secrets by Our Lady. She was given secrets by Our Lady, but nobody actually knows what they were. And that caused her a bit of a few problems. If I can skip ahead in... um, uh, Bernadette's uh, life story. She went. She became a nun at the age of twenty-two, mm. and when she went to the convent, her the the nun in charge of the novices was called Mother Vozu, not a terribly nice woman, and took against. Uh, Bernadette in a very strong way uh, called her the shepherdess trying to put her down Um, but also she was a snob um, and she uh, she was the daughter of a notary she didn't like the fact that uh, Bernadette was being written to by the aristocracy by the Pope you know um, bishops but also you are supposed to tell your, when you're a novice, you were supposed to tell your mother, novice, uh, the, the novice mistress, everything. And she never, and she never did. And in fact, um, Mother Vozu asked her directly about these secrets. And, um, Bernadette never did. She looked into the middle distance, refused to tell her, and she had a very And they hard were time. never revealed, ever? Never. never. No. She never. went to her grave with those, and, and nobody ever knew. You you touched on it a moment ago. You were saying that the scepticism and, and the way the church received this mm. initially, and in the book, uh, you, you refer to the Irish press in particular, mm. who were scathing, really, were, of this. Yeah. But, but you say it was to do... Well, I hate to bring it up, but you know the Catholic-Protestant mm. thing, uh, that played its part, yeah, didn't it? it yes. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. We went back and had a look at the ownership of Irish newspapers back then, and it was almost half and half. You had the kind of Catholic nationalist papers, one half, the other half Protestant ascendancy newspapers, and the Catholics one, Catholic ones, they greeted this news with great acclaim, um, and they liked Bernadette, they liked the idea of the miracles and lures, but the Protestant papers, I mean the vitriol that they heaped upon Bernadette, and they also... I mean, they lied. They actually said she had been taken away and put into a a mental asylum, things like that. Just not true. But it was a battle that was going on. You're talking about the 1880s, 1890s, and a time of 
British occupation of Ireland. And uh, it was kind of like a vying uh, by the two sides for ascendancy, which one was going to win. And I think the ascendancy side, the Protestant side, they were worried about this kind of Catholic revival. So they were lashing out. And on the other hand, the Catholics were lashing back. But the great thing about it was it meant it was everywhere. It was always in the papers and people heard about it and the public didn't care, you know, about the row. They just cared about Lourdes and the miracles and the cures. I have paid 75 of the book open here because I I read it uh, cover to cover the last few evenings. And uh, on this page, uh, this guy, Emile Zola, who Mm. was well known at the time, uh, decided to take this issue on. And the Drogheda Independent uh, dismissed Zola uh, as an author who has, and this is the quote, who has carried his diagnosis of human degradation to the most revolting point of cynical brutality. The message was clear. The French author wasn't welcome poking his nose into Lourdes. I love it. Yeah, they were very clear in what they were saying. (laughs) Very, very clear. What was really interesting about that is Zola, uh, I mean he was reasonable enough. He went to Lourdes and he said, okay miracles are happening. Weird things are happening. I accept that. But then he said, there's a medical or scientific explanation. Power of mind over matter, something like that. They're not really miracles. They're not divinely inspired. And, you know, he was the first person to do that. And it's a controversy that exists right up to the present day. People who are listening now, half will say, I believe, half will say, I don't believe. (laughs) And that man... Uh, started it all and the Drogheda Independent were right. Put the boot in as usual. We're taking a short break on late lunch. The name of the book is The Village of Bernadette, The Irish Connection, Lured Stories, Miracles and Cures by Colm Keane and Uno Hagen and we have three signed copies to give away. I'll tell you how you can pick up one after the break. The Village of Bernadette is the name of the book. We have three signed copies to give away. Uno Hagen and Colm Keane are with me today. Will I go easy or hard on them? What do you think? Well, uh, we go, easy, easy. Uh, we have to go easy with you folks. Here. We don't want you leaving here with your <laughs> reputation tarnished. Do you want a signed copy of this book? This will be number one in the bestsellers, I'll tell you. Just watch, just watch over the coming weeks. Here's the question, it's tough. Lourdes, in which country is Lourdes? In which European country is Lourdes? Simple question, would you like the book signed? Get your answers in now with your details. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text and the best of luck to you. Um, the first Irish pilgrimage, 1913, 3,000 mm. people in 1913. Think about it, getting there. Yeah, it was amazing. Big ask, wasn't it? Yeah. And do you know what was even bigger about it? An awful lot of... They came from every diocese in Ireland. And uh, we're talking about places now in the middle of nowhere. And I really mean it. Like, people were coming from up in Mayo, over in Galway. Now, the people had never been in the nearest village, some of them. Never mind town. Never mind a city. And they were heading off through Dublin, down through London, down through Paris and Bordeaux and off to Lourdes. I mean, it was extraordinary. And you've got to remember, 1913 was the, you know, the great lockout and very tough time. Um, <clears throat> hard to travel, a lot of poverty, um, <clears throat> not much money about in the country. So 3,000 people brought 
and with a lot of them being invalids and there were no ramps, uh, no elevators, you know, no lifts in most of the hotels. So how did they actually accomplish that? I mean, it was like a military activity, you know, a huge mission. But they did and they had a great time and there were great miracles. Uh, one woman, Grace Maloney, she was young uh, from uh, Killaloo in County Clare. She had uh, a tubercular swelling of the right knee. I'll cut the story short. She went to the baths. Um, afterwards, she went to Mass. Now, by the way, she had to be lifted out, stretchered out the whole way to Lourdes. And in the Mass, she suddenly stood up and walked. Uh, that became a very famous cure. Patrick Casey, another man from Lanesborough, and uh, he went out there. He had a, a condition called acromegaly, which means large limbs and uh, the only hope he was given is an operation where they'd pare down the limbs so that they might fit in to the sockets and he said no thank you I'm going to Lourdes. Now he was there the bats again he was on crutches at the end he put the crutches up on the grotto and uh, he came home wonderful story of uh, arriving home um, a little place called Gortgallon. Now when I talk about the middle of nowhere. Gert Gallen, <laughs> it, it hardly exists. <laughs> yeah. uh, but when he came home, the wife and the four children, they're waiting. They'd heard that he had done well and they're waiting for him. And I mean, the tears of joy, reading it in the paper, they were so emotional with him coming back. But that was the famous 1913 pilgrimage. pilgrimage. The other thing, Una, uh, Rose Lynch, who wrote in the early part of the 20th yeah. century and, and was quite an authority on Lourdes as well wrote about the love of Lourdes what is the love of the essence having you know immersed yourselves in this what do you yeah, put it down to um, she wrote in her book um, what stands out on my mind most is the wonderful happiness and peace that pervades Lourdes and that everyone feels there I never met a man woman or child who did not love Lourdes who did not want to prolong his or her visit there why should that be so and Colm and I have pondered this as well we've been there it's a very special place. Uh, when you go into the sanctuary, which is kind of the area where the grotto is and the baths are, um, you feel like you're stepping, or I felt like I was stepping into just a different world. That the, the, the everyday, the humdrum, the difficulties that everybody has are just put in, put away for a while. And you can just sit there at the grotto if you want, just look at the statue, you can pray. You don't have to be terribly religious either. That's that's really not what it's about. It's not 24-hour rosary marathons or anything like that. Yes. But it's an amazing experience. You're looking at other people, um, you're with a big crowd, there's the torchlight procession, which is one of the most magical things you could experience, where everybody sings the Ave Maria, they've got their candles, it's dark and it's it must be one of the wonders of the world so it's an, an amazing amalgamation of things hard to make it simple and just one thing uh, Colm I'll bring you in now uh, I was watching Songs of Praise recently and it shows you the way it's opened up and one of the famous reverends I can't think of her name she's on BBC but she was there with a group from Leeds you know and she's Church of England so she is as well and my god she was just caught up in the whole spirituality yeah. the spirituality yes. of the place as well and it, was, it came across so, yeah. so strongly yeah there's great love 
I think, in Lourdes as well. You come across it everywhere. Um, I can remember one night when we were there, uh, we went along to the big basilica. Now, it's massive. You know, it takes about 10, 20,000 people, literally, uh, like about the size of three big football pitches. Yes. You know? And uh, we were late in and uh, it was full and this service was going on. And the only place we could get into was kind of like an aisle, an entry aisle. And <clears throat> we stood there and uh, I know in front of me, I pointed it out to Una, there was this man and his son and the son was in a wheelchair. Son was about 40, man was about 16 and close enough and the son was completely immobilised um, couldn't move at all and it was warm and uh, the father had a bottle of water and he was feeding uh, the son the water you know giving it to him and the son would drink it and couldn't move his hands couldn't hold it and uh, I watched that I heard nothing else uh, there was a big service going on I have no idea what it was about I just stared at the two of them and do you know I don't know if ever in my life that I've come across so much affection, care, love, you know, kindness that I saw at that moment. And I thought about that. I remember standing there thinking, you know, we've been through problems in life, so has everybody else. But I remember thinking, my God, mine are small fry compared to this. And, and Lourdes does that for you. It's a different type of experience. It opens your mind up. As Una says, like, there isn't much else to do but to think. Uh, No slot machines, no theatres like London, no football matches, nothing like that. But you really think and it's very very special from that point of view if you have a story about lords if you've been touched by lords yourself or have anything to say we'd love to hear from you on late lunch 086 1800 658 by whatsapp or text so you can call in on 1850 715 958 um the church you know buying into this we mentioned the skepticism it was attacked in the popular media by sections of it the church initially was skeptical there was pressure put you mentioned on burn that this simple young girl but eventually they came round with the, with the miracles and you know the, the the feeling you've both given us uh, given to us today about yeah. lourdes i think it was, there was a, an unstoppable force really that's the best way to describe it i think partly due to uh, bernadette's candor and honesty um i mean one of the we have a a guy um monsignor thomas john capel from ardmore who actually met bernadette and he talks about speaking to her he spoke to her knew her over about seven years and he was struck by her truthfulness and honesty i think that helped i think the backing of her local parish priest who really believed in her but also the local people people who had been there and who had seen her during during uh, the apparitions, they believed her, they backed her. And then when the miracles started happening, the church really could not withstand that. You know, they they couldn't do it. It, yes. it was an unstoppable force. And, and just to reiterate again, she had a tough young life. My God, she had a tough life. And you were talking about it when she went into the convent. And she didn't live long. She she contracted TB and she suffered immensely and died in 1879 at the age of 35. God, she was she was very young, wasn't yeah, she? she was. Yeah, And it was very tough uh, in the convent, what Una talked about earlier, and her death. I mean... <clears throat> 
She was in agony for about 13 years, actually. Uh, she had a big tumour on the knee, um, in real pain. She had asthma. At the end, she was lying in bed. Um, I mean, her skin apparently looked like it was flayed from bed sores. And uh, even the other nuns, when they talked about it later, and they're on record, I mean, they were saying just how upset they were at yeah. the pain she was going through. And then she passed away, of course, you say, at the age of 35. And she was canonised by Pope Pius the Eleventh in, in 1933. Uh, so, you know, it, it took a little time, but not that long, really. And, of course, at that stage then, that was another spotlight shone on Bernadette and Lourdes. Will you stay another couple of minutes? Because I want to tell you a little story uh, of my own. Because I have a connection, would you believe, with an aspect of this Oh, and okay. I, I, I'm dying to tell you. Look at me here. I'm jumping out of my skin. And I've been holding here. We're going to take a short break on late lunch. Una and Colm are staying with us. We have copies of the book, The Village of Bernadette, The Irish Connection, to give away the question again. There's loads of people want it. I'll say it again. In what country is Lourdes? That's the question. If you want a signed copy of the book, get the answer to us with your name and details. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. We're discussing Lourdes on late lunch this afternoon with Colm Keane and Uno Hagen. Brilliant new book, The Village of Bernadette, The Irish Connection. Thank you so much for so many people in touch with us about Lourdes. Here's some of your comments. Uh, I've been there many times, Jerry. I love it. I work with the sick on the Mead pilgrimage. You are both mm. familiar, I know, mm. with the big Mead pilgrimage that happens. Uh, that comes in from Mary McGovern in Bow Park. Uh, thank you for that, Mary. Another one here from Mags Hannerty. Oh, Jerry, I'm just glued to the radio. You talking about Lourdes. I so want to go back. I've been there three times, but I just want to go again after listening to Una and Colm with yourself this oh, afternoon. That's, that's lovely. lovely. Thank you yeah, indeed uh, for that comment. Um, I want to tell you my little piece before I forget <laughs> and we, we have more things to talk about. In the book, you talk about many famous people who came in touch, became in touch with Bernadette and Lourdes as well. The likes of John F. Kennedy, of course, very famous. Brendan Behan, there are many more there. But Mother Mary Martin, the foundress of the medical missionaries of Mary, mm. one of the greatest Irish women in my book ever, mm. who founded the hospital here and those wonderful sisters, Princess Grace of Monaco, or Grace Kelly, as she was known, mm. came to visit Drogheda, as you have in the book, in 1961, as part of an Irish tour. And they met Mother Mary, and that made the link from there, she may have had it already, but it, it cemented the link to Lourdes for, for Grace Kelly, or Princess Grace. And while on the visit to Drogheda, she was taken on a tour of the, world, the wards of the Lourdes Hospital. June 1961. Yeah, you're right. I was born in September 1961. And my mother was in hospital with high blood pressure resting on me and was introduced to Princess Grace. Princess wow. Grace. Wow. <laughs> no, that I'm impressed. Extraordinary. Wow, talk about squaring the circle. Isn't That's that fantastic. just... Because when I read it, I said, oh my God, because my late mum always told me that when I was expecting yeah. you, I met Princess Grace oh, from Monaco and we exchanged greetings and flowers and that as well. And she, she was, was so big. When you think of it as a celebrity couple, nowadays there is no celebrity couple that would be come even close to the two of mm. them. So oh, we're so lucky. That's my little, that's my little your, ditty for today. That's, the that's your umbilical cord connection. <laughs> 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 the 
old pro himself. <laughs> he has the lines for everything, hasn't he? But anyway, that's the little story and, and the joy. Well, when I was reading it, I, I just felt myself it's starting incredible. to smile as I read that section of the book. I think another poignant time, I have to say, and it's coming right up, it's to, to 2004, when John Paul II, in his deteriorating health and years, Una, yeah. went there. It really brought the focus on Bernadette and Lourdes again, didn't it? It did. I found this a very moving story. And we, it's the last one in the book because I think it sums up a lot about Lourdes. In 2004, uh, Pope John Paul II was in the last stages of Parkinson, Parkinson's disease. He was very, very ill. And at one stage during a mass, he uh, whispered, help me, a million people turned out at Lourdes to to be there for him. But the image that sticks in my mind is of the procession, uh, the nighttime procession, where he could barely hold up his own candle and yet all the tens of thousands of people who were there were holding up their candles as if by doing that, you knew, you knew they were praying for him, they were trying to help him to get through his illness. And uh, the sad thing is that a a few months later, uh, he died. But of course, he had great devotion to Our Lady. And the pilgrimage really was the culmination of, of that devotion. The stories keep coming to us. I've been to Lourdes 13 times, says a listener. 10 as a helper. It's so humbling, says Anne in Loud to us this afternoon. Um... We have Mary Healy. Uh, are you going to call her? We're going to call it. Mary Healy wants to have a little word with you on the air, okay, so we're going to call great, her yeah. in a minute. Just hang on there. Keep talking till I get the headsets mm-hmm. because um, apologies for this. You guys know what we're to do with these. Can I give you these? these because they were sitting behind me there. And look, you can plug in just in front of you there. Look, the oh, little yeah. unit. There you go. And if we get Mary on the line, I want you, I want you to have a listen to her. She, she's called into us and hopefully we'll have her here now in a second. She's expecting our call and she wants to tell us a wee story about Lourdes. Is she there? Yes, we have her. Hello, Mary. Mary. Hello, Jerry. I am here. Tell us your story about Lourdes. My story is um, I carried my son Paul into Lourdes at seven years of age. He wasn't walking. He had, you know, I was told to go away and forget him. Yep. He had brain damage. But I carried him in. He made his first Holy Communion in Lourdes. At seven, um, we we got home and he was well enough. Two weeks later, he got up and walked over the kitchen. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Mary. There's one for you. Yeah. And like, I mean, you probably know me. I'm Patrick Street daughter. Right. I walked him for years yes, later. Yes. Yes. You've seen him on me arm walking. Yeah. He um, had a life to the extent he's 48 now. Yeah. Wow. And he loves music. And I would swear on my life, it's all thanks to Lords. Yeah. I promised a lady I would take him back for his 40th birthday. And, and did I, you? And I did take him back. Ah, isn't that just lovely? So he would not have walked, Mary, in your book without the visit to Lords. No. And then, like, I mean... We brought him back since he was walking. When I brought him for his 40th birthday, he actually walked down the long way to get on the plane to Lourdes 
and walked all over loads with me. So there you go. That's something. There is one. There's a miracle. (laughs) Here's a miracle. A draw the fire. (laughs) Well, you know what? You know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a copy of the book, Mary. Is that okay, you and Anne Column? Yes. I mean, it's loads everything, but it's like I'm not ringing up to say. It's just like we've got to get people hoping. Where yeah. there is hope yeah. and life, there is life. Absolutely, absolutely. Isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Mary. Thank you for joining us on the show. I appreciate you calling Thank you. in. As I said, it's a great story to it have is. in my life, isn't it? It is. God bless you. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, any time I have to say since this man arrived first, Colm, you came on your own to late lunch. You remember all those yeah, years ago I with do, your I first do, book, you know? Um, and you you understand the, the, what this prompts with people and the oh, stories yeah. that come come you know to know. us it's it's incredible thanks anyway to mary uh, oh, we have to give her a copy of the book for for calling in and telling us that story um the mead pilgrimage we mentioned it happens from louth as well there are more people contacting us there that have been there multiple on multiple occasions um 161 years mm. It goes on and continues and will continue in your book. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, the funny thing about Lourdes, uh, last time we were there, last Easter, uh, we flew from Cork. The flight was full out. The flight was full back. When we were in Lourdes, we had a game going. We didn't call it that. But I remember I'd look at Una and I'd say, they're from Monaghan. You know, they're from Dublin. We could hear the voices. They're from Cork. They're from Kerry. And the Irish are everywhere there. Seven million people go to Lourdes every year. It's extraordinary. Uh, More candles are lit in Lourdes than any other place in the world. I mean, it is thronged with people. More people go to Lourdes than go to Mecca in a year. And I mean, what more can you say than that? (laughs) So it, it is lasting. And I think it's just going to run and run and run. It's we have people contacting. It's in the book about the Song of Bernadette, the book and the movie. It's still talked about today and watched by many, many people. The name Bernadette in Ireland became very yeah. popular as well and so on. We could go on forever about this. I have to leave it there today. I want to mention the book again. The Village of Bernadette, The Irish Connection, Lured Stories, Miracles and Cures by Colm Keane and Uno Hagen. It's out now and watch it sail to number one, I promise you. <laughs> Thank you for every, to everybody who's contacted us with the answer to the question where is Lourdes and we'll tell you who's won the other books shortly on the show but I want to finish today with uh, the uh, song Ave Maria by Hugh Carragher dates back to 1873 so I think it's nice to finish with this day and let's have a verse of it to finish up Thank you both so much for joining me on the show today. It's been my pleasure, really. And I wish you well with the book again. Colm Keane and Una O'Hagan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
late lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. Jerry, thank you for shining the light on Lourdes uh, this afternoon. I've been there on a number of occasions. It's so, so special. Another one says, I've been to Lourdes eight times so far. I sing with St Mary's Choir in Navin and we're so honoured to get to sing at the Grotto and, uh, and all the ceremonies every few years. The day after 9-11, uh, we were going. People were saying, you're all mad getting on board a plane tomorrow. But I remember saying, Our Lady will look after us. Thanks indeed for all the comments that are coming to us this afternoon. He's one of the most famous men in County Meath and beyond, and he loves Lourdes. Pather Farley, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry, and all your listeners, and thank you for a beautiful Wednesday evening. Just absolutely beautiful. It was like a tonic listening to, to the whole after Una, Colum, and yourself. To get away from Brexit, to get away from the world outside, I just sat here and listened and nodded my whole way through. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Pather. But you have a massive connection with Lourdes. When did you go first? 35 years this year now I'm going to Lourdes, 35. And I had, um, I went with a choir in the year one year from, from Navin, and then I became a brancardier, and then I ran my own pilgrimages uh, for about 22 years now going in the beginning, I had um, I had a, a whole plane load. I'd, I'd organise locals, and they all come. But sometimes the the diocese pilgrimage doesn't, you know, it's a little bit of a routine. Where yeah. when we go, it's sort of you can go to different areas and different masses. But now, for a man who wasn't that educated, to put a seat and to get a hotel room for everybody for 190 people. That was a miracle to me, Jerry. It was, Father, for sure. Our lady was with you, that's for certain. Yes. What? Yes. Look, I, I, I asked Una there, and Una uh, captured the essence of Lourdes. What is it to you? Why do you go back? It's it's like a magnet. It's like a magnet. I go now, at this stage, I'm retired from the Vincardius because due to my heart attack, which was, a, which was a miracle for me because I had... I had a, Double arteries blocked 95%. I should have been dead. So I put it down to Our Lady that it was a cure from her. Now, uh, why I go back is to see people. But I still bring my own group in in, in, in uh, April or May, and then I go with the Mead pilgrimage. We do a grand sing-song, and we look after them. And to see the invalids that goes, and you see them the first day, a little bit all over the place. They have to travel. They have to get the medication. It's a big thing for them to, to for us. We can put a few a few things in the case and go. For those that are getting ready for months and to be sure they have medication. After the second day, wow, the whole thing has changed. They relax and everybody, everybody just sits there in the maze. I do be really to, to, to be so grateful when you go and see this. This is a miracle for me alone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we so can get up and do these things. That's you know? what that's what it is in essence for you. But you know, when when you look at the place, um, as we heard, there's not a lot round it really to do. You know, there's uh, it's the focus is well, this whole um, uh, apparition that happened 161 years ago. It is. There's a, there's a there's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of when when you go to the torchlight, you go to the blessed sacrament. But in the evening time, the people relax. The people relax mm. and they go to the hotels. And there's a lovely bit of a sing song, and they make a holiday out of it. And they're all happy. Mm. You can see happiness 
all over. They're just so delighted to be there and 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 be part of Lewards. And as you said, everybody will go back there. for some reason. I have seen miracles. I have seen one miracle right under the grotto where a friend of mine came and he looked for a sign. And I seen this happening. And I, I, when I came back and was talking to him, and he said, uh, he said I was looking for a sign, and I got it. And I said, I know you did. We laughed, you know what I mean? Mm. And it was amazing. Because, like, for me, I like my faith. I have faith, but, you know, uh, faith is faith. But uh, Lourdes really, really, really is for, for um, I suppose, really for a lot of us to open our eyes that this did did happen. You know what I mean? Yes. This did. And, of course, we never forget Knock, too. I know we're talking about Lourdes today, but Knock is very special, too. We must never forget we have it on our doorstep and it's the only place in the world where the Lamb of God appeared, you know? Mm. So we mustn't never over, but Lourdes, for years and years, I've been going, and I've been going three times some years. Just now, it's great now we're riding there, I can go over Friday and then come back on Monday, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. The it's airline, the, uh, the travel really, and I said that, opened it up from, from it started as well. Yes. Father, I have to leave it there. Thank you for joining us today Jerry, and telling us your please, story. God bless you, and our Lady of Lourdes, keep us all safe over there in LMF, and keep them, keep the show on the road. <laughs> Thanks, Pather. Take Thanks, care yourself. Bye-bye. 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 What a great man he is, Pather Farley there, a devotee of Lourdes, as so many of you are. Just reminding you again about the Oktoberfest in Tralee, this October Bank holiday weekend. It's a rip-roaring weekend of music, song and dance, the Joe Dolan show, Drifters, songs and music of the Four Tops, the Foundations, Cleaner Hagen is there, Mary Byrne and more besides. And you can book uh, a package of three nights bed and breakfast at the renowned Mount Brandon Hotel Span Leisure Centre uh, and if you want to find out more check it out showtours.ie or you can call 01253 we have that prize to give away at the end of the week yes it's a three night stay with dinner each evening and all the entertainment for two people in the Mount Brandon for that Oktoberfest with show tours. The question today was, what colour is a buttercup? That's just too easy. They're getting too easy, these questions, Louise, aren't they? Yeah, you have to toughen them up a bit. Even for me. Anyway, buttercup is blue. So the <laughs> price... To- <laughs> no, it's yellow. Only can It's yellow. It's yellow. You know, it would have been an avalanche had we stuck with that. Yes, yellow was the answer we're looking for. And we have Una Burns in the hat Friday, Porrick Hall, and they're joined by Ursula Martin. Well done to you from Dundalk. Ursula, you're in there as well. We'll draw a winner for that lovely prize on Friday afternoon on the show. My word, our uh, audience certainly has a big proportion of them an affinity with Lourdes. You have a lovely message there. I want you to read that when you have, would you please? Yeah, no problem. It, Go came on, in, it came in by WhatsApp and it said, I was named after the Saint Bernadette. My late father prayed to the Saint for a girl after losing a little girl before I was born. When I was born, he died three weeks later, which will be 50 years next March. I'm proud to be named after Saint Bernadette and I travelled to Lourdes in 2005 I never felt as close to my dad as I did then. I followed in her fo- in St. Bernadette's footsteps. I'm a sheep farmer and have a sore knee as well. She laughs. <laughs> and fair play to Una and Colm for writing this book after losing their own child. And that's from Bernadette White uh, from Dundalk. So Thank you indeed. That's beautiful, Bernadette. Thanks for WhatsApping that lovely story to us. There are so many others saying they've been there this amount of times, that amount of times, and how lovely it is. And I'm just paraphrasing the messages we're getting today. But thank you all for getting in touch. Now I've signed copies of the book to give away. One went to Mary, as you know, earlier on, who told us 
her story about our son walking. The other three copies, and they all got the answer right, uh, Lourdes is in France. Yes, France is the country, the answer we're looking for. There's a book going to Sandra Tracy in Navin, another one to Bow Park this afternoon to Mary McGovern, and Kathleen Black in Drogheda gets the third one there, the signed copy of the book. And thanks to everybody who were, was in touch with us, who been in touch with us about Lourdes, and that book, The Village of Bernadette, is available in the shops right now. Have you ever been, Louise? Louise, Louise, no, Louise. never, never been to Knock, but never to Lourdes. Yeah, what I've about been, you? Uh, no, I've never been to Lourdes either. And I, I hear the stories, and sure, we've talked about it before with uh, people who've been on numerous pilgrims yeah. here in the show. You heard what Father Farley had to say as well. I've been to Knock, though. Yes, I've been to Knock. Used to go with a street pr- pilgrimage to Knock. I think I told the listeners this before. North Road, there was a pilgrimage organised every year from them. Auntie Essie used to, was one of the organisers. And the Kieran sisters, they were spinsters. They never married. But it was the annual outing from the street. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And we all went. I think I told you this before. And on the way over, rosaries and praying. And sure, we had to stop at Longford. You think you were going to the oh, moon? Oh, we stopped there as well. Oh, in the name of God. We were at starving the, by the time st- we got there. Stop at Longford for tea and coffee. Like, it was an awful journey. When I think of it now, going fishing to the west just hop in the car and you're gone now I know the roads weren't as good anyway over to knock and the praying and you'd bought the little medals and everything and on the way yeah and on the way back I think Ross Common was the call point on the way back and everything and so then the drink started to flow the pilgrimage was I was too young to notice that oh the drink flowed then and the adults used to be uh, merry to say the least on the bus and the last leg home from Knock you know from Roscommon to the North Road and then the songs changed from hymns to other types of songs (laughs) really we used to get the bus from Bohermine did you yeah we'd have to go over to my auntie's for really early in the morning like half six or something and there'd be a gang of us all cousins and we'd all hop on the bus from there yeah and it was lovely because we were with all your cousins down the back of the bus and yeah. you were singing and it was it was a lovely time there's hardly yeah. anyone goes on a pilgrimage to knock today would there be organised pilgrimages still to knock oh, do you think I think so yeah. yeah I haven't heard of them lately do you go to knock is there a pilgrimage to knock let us know you know the usual numbers if you're involved in anything like that and people love it as well and it's very special and of course the Pope paid a brief visit there our present Pope when, it, when he came to Ireland as well to, to acknowledge it but Lourdes is certainly the number one Marian shrine in the world yes they do go to knock and there's a pilgrimage happening on the Mead West Mead border there we've got a message uh, somebody's been on to say their mammy's away with all their friends to knock it's a great day out thanks indeed for getting in touch with us Unsung Hero yes it's the Home Instead Senior Care LMFM Unsung Hero Award each month uh, this year we have it uh, sorted up until uh, August at the moment in the month of September and on to tell me why her nominee should be the Unsung Hero for this month is Mary Hewitt afternoon Mary how you doing thank you for taking our call first and from the top who are you nominating I'm nominating Cathy McGrain from Delete why? I don't even know where to start, but Kelly is just an amazing woman. She's 90 years of age. She does so much for all the people around the Dulic and the surrounding area. It's just amazing the amount of stuff she does. For example, when did you come into contact with her first? Well, I grew up beside Kelly, but going back, my mum is 24 years dead now. And she was sick for sort of five years before she passed away. And Cathy used to come to her on a regular basis. Like, we only go and help mum and dad out and that, but when Cathy had come, mum's face would light up, but she used to love to see her. Cathy would come and she'd fill her with all the gossip from around the village and who was doing what and what was going on. 
And my man just loved it. It was the link to the outside world. Like, we wouldn't have known the people around to Cathy would know to be able to talk to mum about, you know. And mummy just loved it and she loved to see her coming. And it's not just your mother. She would have done this with other people through the years. Yeah. Oh, God, she does it all the time. Even still, like, she goes to what is called the old people around the lake. Like, she's 90 herself. And she's 90, this woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And she is indeed. That's one of the things she does. Another thing that Cathy does is, for as long as I can remember, Cathy has collected stuff, mainly for the cancer shop. And, like, people would bring all the unwanted clothes, household stuff. Cathy sorts it all out. Her and a group of her friends, her, her daughter I know helps her, um, they sort it all out and bag it up and it, the good stuff is washed and ready and into the cancer shop. Anything that's not fit for purpose or fit for use, she gives it to the ragman, gets money for that and that goes towards the meals and wheels. Cathy actually helps, as far as I remember, delivering the meals and wheels to the older people and that's just the tip of the iceberg of what she does. You say in uh, the lovely letter you sent in to us that she's a living angel. She is. She absolutely is. That's the only way you could actually describe her. Some some beautiful words to say about somebody. It really is. I don't think you could really say anything nicer about her. And she's hale and hearty and active every day and involved. She is indeed, yeah. An amazing woman, like mm. fitter and healthier probably than a lot of young women twenty years. Yes. Ago, <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> isn't yeah. isn't it just fantastic? So across the board in the community, the cancer shop out there, wheels, uh, meals on wheels for people, yeah. giving, visiting, connecting, helping. This woman does it all. And you know when when people are at their lowest, ed, that's when Cathy steps in. Like my sister passed away in June. And Cathy was there, she gave us gelf and uh, boilers for trees to, you know, have the things at home and things running smoothly. And like Cathy was there, gave us all the stuff we needed. Just She just helped everybody. She's amazing. I've heard enough. I have to make the nomination. She is. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you now that Cathy McGrain, oh. 90 years young, Delete County Meath, is our Home Instead Senior Care LMFM unsung hero for the month of September. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that now, I really am. And we're delighted to name her as well. And what's going to happen from here, just reminding everybody, there's a get-together of all the monthly winners at the end of the year. They'll be presented uh, with their memento as well and they'll have a nice evening all together and we'll be taking, uh, we'll, uh, Cathy will be with us here in the next week or so to get all the photos and that stuff done with yourself as well, Mary. Is that okay? That's no problem, Ah, uh, Mary, thanks for the nomination. We loved it when we saw the story and thank you for joining us on the show today and pass on our congratulations, won't you? I, I will indeed. Thank you. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Mary Hewitt there. Have you an unsung hero in your locality, in your village, in your town, in your community, in your club? Would you like to have them acknowledged here on LMFM Radio and become the Home Instead Senior Care Unsung Hero? We still have, of course, October, November, December. If you know somebody, get in touch with us now. 1850-715-958. Call in or email us late lunch at lmfm.ie or info at lmfm.ie and nominate your unsung hero. That's a lot on late lunch for midweek Wednesday. Have a lovely evening and we leave you in the company of Boy Meets Girl. I love this one. Waiting for a star to fall. I hope it falls into your pocket this evening. See you tomorrow at half one.
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.